you in or are you out? Kia ora and welcome to Stuff to Watch, the podcast that takes the stress out of streaming. I'm James Crute and my guests today are Emily Brooks. Hello. And Kylie Klein-Nixon. Kia ora. Emily, I'm a big film fan. What's been your favourite film of the year so far? You know, I'm actually going to go with Thor Love and Thunder. It's far from a perfect film, and if we're going to be, you know, super pointy-headed film critic about it, it's not the best film of the year. But it's been a while, I think, since I've had that much sheer fun in a movie theatre. I really loved every second of it. Cool. What about you, Kylie? Well, funnily enough, I'm going to talk about my film of the year today, so I don't want to say too much more at the moment. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's get on and find some stuff to watch then. First up, we have A League of Their Own, fresh today on Prime Video. It's a series based on the real-life formation of a women's professional baseball league in the United States during World War II. And yes, it is another reboot, this time of the beloved 1992 Penny Marshall film starring Tom Hanks, Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell. They tried a version of this back in 1993 to sort of capture the spirit of the original film, and it was a disaster. Is it any better this time, Emily? Oh, James. I mean, you know, a lot has changed in the 30 years since this film was made. And one of those things is how we depict this idea of women struggling to fit into a man's world, which is the central theme of A League of Their Own, both the film and the TV show. We're here for the tryouts. I don't think you understand. This is the All-American League. We're pretty All-American. They both approach it by going in hard on the sort of plucky dame trope, which just feels so dated to me now. I mean, this TV show has, you know, through no fault of its own, come out weeks after the US Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. And I think in the context of that, the message that all a woman really needs to do to be accepted is, you know, have some gumption and just do what she's good at while kind of smacking gum and wiggling her bum or something. And that is just not the kind of feminism that we need today. I mean, if I want a TV heroine, I'm going to go for someone like Shiv Roy, someone who's conniving and ruthless. You know, that's, I think, what today's world needs. And I just can't imagine that these dames can smash the patriarchy as well as they can smash a fastball, I guess. (laughs) We've got a few different elements going on here. You've got racism in the form of a clearly very talented black player who's not allowed to play for the all-white league. You've got women struggling with their sexuality, but again, it just doesn't feel relevant. It feels really tired. And, you know, it could have overcome that, I think, with a really snappy script or some super original characters, but those aspects of the show are just totally uncompelling. I wanted to love this, but I just don't. Kylie, do you have similar thoughts? Well, I was only able to watch a couple of episodes and initially I was into it, but actually showing the then socially acceptable racism and sexism of the day, it really started to grate on me. Sometimes they leant so hard on it that I lost the sense the show is trying to critique that stuff and felt at times like they'd chosen to make a period piece because they can lean on that stuff so hard with impunity. You know, it's not us, it's the times kind of thing. Having said that, I do love the look of this period of US history, the fashion, the hair. It's a gorgeous production, but that's pretty much all it's got going for it. Yeah, I felt like this was trying to recreate the spirit of the marvellous Mrs. Maisel, but this lacks the Rachel Brosnahan character. You know, it's good that it doesn't have the Tom Hanks kind of patriarchal figure overlaid on top of this brilliant female ensemble. But yeah, I don't know. It just feels like it doesn't quite hit the same heights that Maisel does. Next up, 
Let's talk The Sandman. Now, this is a long-awaited production. It's spent 30 years since someone first came up with the idea of adapting Neil Gaiman's comic book series for the big screen originally. And now we have Netflix's lavish adaptation of it. The comics ran from 89 to 96. Has this series been worth the wait, Kylie? Oh, more than worth the wait. I feel like this show was bespoke made for 17-year-old me. Um, the Sandman comics really define the sort of goth zeitgeist in the, the, the late 80s and early 90s. And the show has embraced the look and tone of the comics perfectly, making it one of the most successful non-Marvel comic adaptations for my money. So it tells the story of the Sandman, a.k.a. Dream, a.k.a. Morpheus of the Endless, a family of personified ideas that include death, desire, despair, things like that. And now Dream has been trapped for a hundred years. And in that time, everything's gone a bit pear-shaped. So the show follows his escape and his coming to terms with how things have changed while he's been away. And this former goth absolutely loved it. If dreams disappear, then so will humanity. I almost think it couldn't have been made until Tom Sturridge was around to play Dream because he is incredible. Whenever he's on screen, it's really just electric. Emily, did you have a similar reaction to the whole thing? I really did, James. I also loved these graphic novels as a teenager. And because of that, I was excited for the show and also really fretful because it's the kind of thing where, I mean, I think it would be so easy to just kind of ruin it for all of its fans. I think the important part was having Gaiman as part of the writing team. I mean, he's done the adaptation. He's done the updates, you know, in in taking it from the 80s to 2021, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it really benefits from that. Now for something that's similarly themed, strangely enough, but far more family-focused, Luck, new to Apple TV+, Plus, is a big-budget animation about Sam, an unlucky 18-year-old orphan. She's voiced by the relatively unknown Eva Nobelzada with Simon Pegg as her sidekick cat, Bob. I think you watched this with your kids, Emily, or without them? I watched it with my kids, my five and seven-year-olds. We really love a fun family movie. And at the outset, it looked like it was going to tick a lot of boxes for us. You know, you've got your main character to, to get behind. In this case, it's this young woman named Sam who's just aged out of the orphanage system, and she thinks she's the unluckiest person in the world. I blame bad luck for everything that's gone wrong in my life. That turns around when a cat sits next to her on the street and stands up to reveal a penny, which we all know is lucky. It brings her some luck, but then she loses the penny, and she has to go to a magical place called the Land of Luck to try to recover it and then the film just goes totally bonkers I think this is just a classic problem of too many ideas and not enough just sort of red pen wielding I mean you want to talk about world building the land of luck is one of the most convoluted places I've ever seen depicted on screen you know there's so many hierarchies and rules and processes it's hard to tell if it even tracks logically although my seven year old at one point did say why doesn't she just do that you know and skip over 16 steps that they've just outlined I mean there is a lot to love here you know you've got your cute creatures the animation's beautiful it's got a great message there's a pink dragon voiced by Jane Fonda but the middle third is just so labyrinthine that we all kind of tuned out of it my 11 year old and I just got bored with it very quickly I was really kind of disappointed as you say it had a great sort of setup initially almost a kind of up sort of style you know some terrific little montages of bad luck and stuff but yeah it just kind of petered out towards the end Well, our next pick is Prey, a somewhat gory action flick on Disney Plus that actually serves as a prequel to that Arnold Schwarzenegger classic Predator. 
It's the fifth film in the franchise, but it's the first to cover what happened before Arnie got involved. Kylie, this has had some pretty good reviews elsewhere, including from myself. What do you think? Well, look, I think that this is the best Predator film since Predator 2. In fact, I reckon we can just forget about all those other films because this one is just as fun and just as exciting as the original 87 Arnie film. So the Arnie in Prey is uh, Naru, played by Amber Midthunder of the Fort Peck Sioux tribe. And she plays a, a resourceful young woman who doesn't want to be a gatherer. She wants to hunt like her older brother. And it's during one of these hunting expeditions that she is first to realise they are the ones being hunted by the predator. Now, Prey is less about Naru's strength and power than it is about her smarts and wiles. It's also a coming-of-age story where she's forced to kind of confront the idea she has of herself and what she's capable of. Now, I'm making it sound way more thinky than it actually is. It's really just a rollicking action film that smokes through its runtime and doesn't let up for a minute. But what elevates it above your average sci-fi adventure is that it's set in the Americas just before or just as the Europeans are starting to arrive. And it has this young Native American woman as the hero. Because Naru is really what we mean when we say we want a strong female character. There's something out there. I'm coming with you. You can't. I'm trying to protect you. She's not bulging muscles and perfect at everything she does. She's complex. She has faults. She's unsure of herself. She's scared. And she rises above all that in ways only she could. Um, And there's been a lot of stink from Predator fans saying that um, she makes the film unrealistic. And my response to that is, yeah, the bad guy is an eight-foot alien hunter with a gaping maw for a mouth. (laughs) Yes, it's fantastical and unrealistic. Get over it. Enjoy the ride because it's a great ride and it's the most fun I've had watching a movie all year. Yeah, look, I, I, I loved it from start to finish as well. It kind of reminded me of a cross between Apocalypto and The Revenant, quite mostly because of one of the best bear chases I've ever seen. Probably tops Leo's uh, cuddling up to the bear in that particular <laughs> film. Uh, look, you know, all those internet haters can just d- disappear, really, because I think this is just a fabulous way of taking it forward. I mean, compared to some of those awful Aliens versus Predator movies that we had to put up with, this is just so much aces. Go watch it now on Disney+. Plus. So finally today, we have my classic cut. And this week, it's a British comedy that was inescapable after its original release in 1997. It's the Sheffield set, the Full Monty, part of that anti-Thatcher kind of wave of movies that happened throughout the 90s. It's the story of a whole lot of blokes on the unemployment line and sensing an ability to make a little bit of extra money by becoming strippers. Of course, it's their inability or struggle to get to the place they want to that makes this such a crowd-pleasing, toe-tapping riot. This is your great money-making enterprise, is it, Gareth? Strippers? You? Of course... The full Monty movie itself is now being turned into a TV series by Disney+, and most of the key cast are reprising their roles. I mean, that's either going to be absolutely brilliant or truly terrifying. I haven't decided which yet. I think it's hard not to love the full Monty. Like, I'm not sure that all of its um, sort of sexual politics are still, you know, totally relevant today. But it is such a sweet, heartwarming, heartfelt movie. I'm quite looking forward to seeing what they do with it as a series. It's time to recap what we talked about today. A League of Their Own on Prime Video. Sandman on Netflix. Luck on Apple TV+. Prey on Disney+. And my classic cut, brilliant Brit flick, The Full Monty, also on Disney+. 
Righty-ho then, that's another episode in the can. I'll be back next Friday. Don't forget, if you follow Stuff to Watch on Apple, Spotify or any other podcast app, you'll get new episodes hours ahead of their official release. It's simple to do. You'll find all the links at stuff.co.nz slash stuff to watch. Thanks to my guests, Emily Brooks. Thank you. And Kylie Klein-Nixon. Cheers, guys. And to Adam Dudding, filling in for producer Chris Reed. I'm James Crute, and I've been finding you stuff to watch. <laughs>